Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Hope Unlimited Church podcast. We're honored that you're here, and we pray that you find this message both encouraging and inspiring. I want to get straight to it this morning, and I want to give a warning. This series will be challenging for you. It will be challenging for you, and I want it to be. So I'm starting a brand new series today called Not Just Stories, and how many of you have ever had questions when you read the Old Testament, and you're just like, everybody's hands like, oh yes, me, me. You've had questions when you read the Old Testament and you're like, that doesn't really seem like Jesus. That story doesn't make me think of Jesus. Probably every person in the room has had that thought before. And so over the next few weeks, I'm going to be taking stories that are difficult to see Jesus in the midst of and we are going to find him. And I want to start by reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 3 this morning. I'm going to read two passages of Scripture. But Paul lays out pretty simple, simply here for us, how to read the Bible. And specifically, how to read the Scriptures. And when he's talking about the Scriptures... He means something very, very, very specific. He's not talking about the New Testament. He's talking about the Old Testament. The New Testament wasn't around when Paul was preaching and teaching. And so he was talking about the Old Testament. And so when he got ready to say, this is how you read the Bible, this is what he said. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. The old way, with laws etched in stone, led to death. Though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face, for his face shined with the glory of God. Even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect a far greater glory under the new way? Now that the Holy Spirit is giving life, if the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glory at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. If the old way, which has been replaced, was glorious... How much more glorious is the new which remains forever? Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. Listen to this. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory. Even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds and they cannot understand truth. And this veil can only be removed 
by believing in Jesus. There is another translation that says, this veil can only be removed when you see Christ. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the, for the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of God. And the God who is spirit makes us more and more like him as we are being changed into his glorious image. Go to Genesis 18. Genesis 18. Start in verse 16. This is when God sends Abraham to Sodom. And this is, you were just being inserted into this story. If you want to know all about the story, go read the full chapter of Genesis 18. We just don't have time for it. But you've probably heard this read before. Then the men got up from their mill, looked out towards Sodom, and as they left, Abraham, Abraham went with them to send them on their way. Should I hide my plan from Abraham, the Lord asked. For Abraham was certainly become a great and mighty nation, for all the nations of the world will be blessed through him. I have singled him out. I have singled him out. I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. And then I will do for Abraham all that I promise. So the Lord told Abraham, I have a great outcry from Sodom. I've heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sins are so flagrant. I am going down to see if their actions are as wicked as I've heard. If not, I want to know. The other men turned and they headed towards Sodom, but the Lord remained with Abraham. Abraham approached him and said to him, Will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? Suppose you find 50 righteous people living in the city. Will you still sweep it away? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the righteous along with the wicked. Why would you be treating the righteous and the wicked the exact same? Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And the Lord replied, If I find 50 righteous people in Sodom, I'll spare the city. Suppose there's 45 righteous people. Will you destroy the city then? The Lord replies, I will not destroy the city if I find 45 righteous people there. Then Abraham asked again, Suppose there's only 40 and the Lord replied, I won't destroy it then either. Please don't be angry, my Lord, Abraham pleaded. Let me speak. Suppose there's only 30 righteous people found. Abraham sees the condition of Sodom. And he sees no righteous people. And then he continues on. And he says, if there's only 20. He says, no, I won't, I won't destroy it if you can find 20. And he says, one more. He says, don't be angry that I'm going to ask this one more thing. 
What if there's 10? No, I won't. I won't destroy it if there's 10. When the Lord finished this conversation with Abraham, he went on his way, and Abraham returned to his home. Lord, I pray this morning that we would see you. Jesus, reveal us to you in these scriptures. Let us see who you really are. Let us see who you really are. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Jansen, you're good, dog. Everybody give it up for Jansen in the house. So starting this series, not just stories. Um, also, I've had questions about merch. I have it on, some of it. It'll be available next week. I just thought we would get a sample in, and uh, I should wear it on a Sunday so that you could see what it looked like. And it may be the first time I've ever wore sweatpants and preached. But anyways. But uh, you have your sermon notes with you this morning. Uh, if you don't have your sermon notes, we have a cool feature available for you. You can go on our website, and our sermon notes are also there. And you can fill, it, fill them in digitally. So you can have those. You can download them as a PDF. You can do all the fun stuff. That's free. It's available to you. And you can see up to a month's worth of notes. And so... All of that is available for you. So, how many of you know that you should read the Old Testament? You should read the Old Testament. You know that you should. You know that it's important. But a lot of people ask this question. Why is it important? What I just read to you said... That the old covenant was an inferior way of doing everything in God. It just said that it wasn't even close to what the New Testament is like. It said that it brought condemnation. And it was glorious. But it doesn't compare to what we live in now. This is what Paul was saying. This is, this is a question that everyone asks. Why should I read the Old Testament? So when reading the Old Testament, I'm going to give you some questions that you need to be asking. And the first one is, why? So when reading the Old Testament, the first thing on your notes is you need to ask these questions. The first one is, why? Why should you read the Old Testament? To see Jesus. You read the Old Testament to see Jesus. Paul is plainly saying this in 2 Corinthians when he says, there is a veil over your eyes when you read this in the ways of Moses. And I'm paraphrasing here. But when you see Christ, the veil is removed off of your eyes. What is it saying? When you find Christ in the Old Testament, there is a veil that is removed off of your eyes. And then he goes on to say this. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The reason why he says that is, is because when you read the Old Testament, if you read it under the law of Moses, it will actually bind you. It will bind you to the law. But when you see Jesus in the Old Testament, it will set you free as you are in Jesus. So 
The Bible is 66 books telling one story that reveals Jesus. It is not 66 books that are by themselves and you go and learn lessons from them. The purpose of the Bible is to infallibly reveal Jesus. That is the purpose of the Bible. It's not, to, it's not a science book. It's not a history book. That's not the purpose of the Bible. That's not why it was written. So if you have, if you, if you, if you're a creationist or you're whatever else, that doesn't matter. It doesn't, and, and I'm not saying this to knock on the fundamentalists because the people who are doing the the wrong kind of deconstruction, they do something even worse. They don't even worry about the Old Testament. They just rip it out. They don't even read it. They just say, you can do away with it. And that's heretical. That's a worse type of heresy, if there was one. And so, when you, when you read the Old Testament, you have to ask the question, why? And it's to see Jesus. The Bible is telling one story about Jesus. About Jesus. Are you tracking this morning? This is what Paul was saying. Everything that you read in the scripture is about Jesus. The next question, who am I looking for? Jesus. You are looking for Jesus. The Bible says this, when you turn to Jesus, this is what Paul was saying, when you, when you see Jesus, the veil is removed off of your eyes. It's removed off of your eyes. And you get set free from a Moses-type way of thinking. You get set free from a who am I type way of thinking. You know, that's what Moses said when he goes to Pharaoh or when he's going to Pharaoh. And he goes to God and he says, who am I that I should go? Well, it didn't matter who he was. That wasn't the purpose of this. The purpose of, of Moses going to God to go see Pharaoh was so that Moses would see an image of Christ setting all of his people free from bondage in Egypt. It's not just a story about getting set free, the, Israel, the church getting set free. That's not what this is about. So, when you're reading this, you are always looking for Jesus. And so, just like I showed you, or just like I just said, the purpose of the story of Moses going to Pharaoh was not that Moses would go and ask, who am I? That wasn't the purpose of this. The purpose of that story is to show you Jesus in Moses. And Jesus is your better Moses. That sets you free from all of captivity. And he doesn't just save Israel, he saves all of us. He is the better Moses. And so, when you are looking and you find Jesus, you need to know this, you find yourself. You find yourself. But if you look for yourself, you will not find Jesus. If you go into the scriptures and you look for yourself in the scripture and you're like, I'm Moses and I'm leading people out of captivity, you will not find Jesus that way. You will end up creating an idol out of some version of Christianity that you create that is hyper-humanistic in ways. That really has little to no touch of 
theology, has a lot of anthropology and how humans work, but it really doesn't show you Jesus. It just shows you you. And when you read the Old Testament, Paul says, you will not be free until you see Christ. You, you cannot experience freedom until you see Jesus. You will find yourself in Christ because that's where you are. You are in Christ. You were buried with him in baptism. You were raised with him. You were raised with him in resurrection. You were co-crucified. You are in Jesus. That's where you are. And you need to see Jesus to understand who you are. It is not understanding about who God is and then who you are. False. Absolutely false. It is about understanding who God is. And that reveals who you are. Getting a better understanding of who you are doesn't do anything for you. It makes you a cool, self-righteous person. And then over time, what we've done is, is we've created these theologies and doctrines that just make us sound more Christ-like, self-righteous people. So the focus of our many of our churches and our walks with God has never been Jesus. It's always, what, what about me? And Paul says the purpose of the Old Testament is not for you to see you. It's for you to see Jesus. Jesus says this very clearly. If you cling to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life, you'll find it. If you cling to figuring out who you are when reading the Old Testament, you're going to lose yourself in the process. But if you read the Old Testament and you're always looking for Jesus, you will find who exactly who you were supposed to be. So mistakes that we make when reading the Bible. Number one, you look or we look for ourselves. We look for ourselves. We have made Christianity all about who we are and how we can make an impact because we are a certain type of Christian and we can leverage that in culture. You see this with people in politics all the time. They use Christianity as leverage. That's perverse. It's even more perverse when you reject politics and then you want to manipulate your world into a perfect world because you are a son or a daughter of God and things just have to go your way all the time. Have you ever heard, you ever heard those Christians before? I won't settle for this because this is not the will of God. Well, that's a, that's a false assumption already. It's an illogical argument already. Especially in times of pain. You cannot use your Christianity to leverage your way through this. Ask people who have been through pain. Ask them if everything that they prayed for happened. 
And then people will say, well, that doesn't believe that we don't have faith. Absolutely. It doesn't discount the fact that you don't have faith. But you can't use your faith as leverage. That's not what this is about. Paul says when you read the Old Testament and you see Christ, you are being transformed into a glorious image. You are not praying your way into a glorious image. That's not what it says. You're not reading your Bible enough to be transformed into a glorious image. That's not what it says. It says when you see Jesus. Listen, I know people who have read the Bible their entire life and look nothing like Jesus. I know people who spend hours a day in prayer and look nothing like Jesus. So prayer and reading your Bible doesn't transform you into the glorious image of Jesus if you don't see Jesus right. So the mistakes that we made is, is, is that we look for ourselves, And Jesus says this, if you go looking for yourself, you're going to lose your life. But if you see me rightly, you'll find you. Here's another thing that, here's another mistake that we make. Here's another mistake that we make. And I'm going to get to the text in Genesis in just a second. Another mistake we make. I'm just setting you up. We read the Bible for some sort of magical experience. We read the Bible for some sort of magical experience. You're looking for God to appear to you like he appeared to Moses in a burning bush. You ever met those people? They're just like, I see God everywhere. I see God everywhere. In all of creation, I see God. I'm just to challenge you. No, you don't. You don't. Because creation is fallen. You do not see the glory of God in creation. You may see something that is beautiful, but it's under, it's, un, it's, it's in a fallen state. So the most beautiful thing that you've ever seen in your life is fallen. It is not Jesus. So like if you go to Caves Cove and you see Caves Cove and you're like, oh, I'm overwhelmed with how beautiful this is. This is the glory of God. It's not the glory of God. It's not the glory of God. If you go to the beach and the water's perfect and you're just like, this is God's creation. It's not. It's not. It's a fallen state of what was. And all of this is going to be remade. I told you this was going to challenge you. And the same way that we do that with creation, we also do that with our experiences and our encounters with God. We want burning bush encounters with God. I've heard people pray for them. We want glory clouds. I've heard people ask for them. And Jesus, the entire time, <coughs> sorry, I've been sick again, allergies, need y'all to pray. This is the strangest thing in the world. Like, I moved, I've never had allergies in my life. Move here, sick every two weeks, you know? Ridiculous. We weren't even allowed to go to the doctor in my house growing up. So it wouldn't matter if you were sick or not. You're not allowed. There's some Tamiflu in the drawer for everything, for every symptom. Tamiflu in the drawer. There's also, it was actually, there was probably divine wisdom. Because if you go to the doctor back where I'm from, you might be worse off when you leave. We want God to appear to us 
in burning bush and glory cloud encounters. And Jesus, when he and when God created the heavens and the earth, he said, I am going to put my image in the earth. And he created humans. So God is not in this platform here, this little podium, nor is he in that piano, nor is he in the bushes outside, but he is in Amelia, and he is in Emily, and he is in Joe, and that is where you see the glory of God. Everything else is fault, and Katie and Blake, they were offended because I skipped over them. Sorry. Blake, I'm so sorry. But he's not in the trees and he's not in the bushes. He's in you and your face. You are the image of God in the earth. That's why when all of the when the disciples were being trained, Jesus says this. The king will say to those On my right, you who are blessed by my Father inherit the kingdom prepared from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I had no clothes, you clothed me. I was sick, you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, why didn't we ever see this happening? Jesus says this, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of these, one of the least of these, you were doing it to me. So if you want to see the glory of God and have an encounter with God, go find the least of these and serve them. Go find the least of these and pour into them. Go find the least of these and pay for their food. Go find the least of these and meet their needs. That's how you have an encounter with God. It's not a magical experience. I'm really fisting to mess with you. I'm fisting to mess with you really bad. We have, I'm serious, evangelical Christian culture has railed so hard against Harry Potter. And your Christianity is just like it. I pray my prayer and this happens. And I wave my wand and this happens. And it's not like that. And it's not supposed to be like that. Paul says this, we are being transformed as we see Christ into his glorious image. We're not praying our way to it. We're not reading our way to it. Now you can read the Bible and see Christ. And you can pray and see Christ. You can. That's the whole purpose of why I'm doing this series. But if you don't have all of this information going into this, you will just be in a cycle of thinking that these are just stories in the Bible that we read for some reason. 
Another mistake we make. We take our ideas to the Bible instead of getting them from the Bible. This is the biggest mistake that we make. We let our way our way of there we go. Our way of thinking shape who we believe God is. We make our current ways of thinking, our current doctrines and dogmas, we take all of those and we let those create a God for us. Instead of going to the Bible and seeing who he really is, we just, we just make one up for ourselves. And then we worship him. It's like people who read the New Testament and ignore things like caring for the poor. You can't not care for the poor. That's not, you, you can't not do that. Right? That's like saying, well, you can be a Christian and you can never go to church. Right? You can't not do, I mean, yeah, it will work out for you for a minute. But that's not how this is supposed to work. It's not how this is supposed to work. We take our ideas to the Bible instead of getting them from the Bible. It's how things like the rapture got taught for so many years. We have these ideas of what we think this says. We take it to the Bible and then we proof text it, which is so strange. You know that the Bible, when Paul was writing the Bible, he, didn't, he wasn't writing like Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. What we'll do is we'll be like, well, 1 Thessalonians 4 says this. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 through 17, this is what this says. It's like, okay, what does 1 Thessalonians 1 through that verse and then after it say? Because that's how he was writing. He was taking one letter to make one big point. When you read the Bible and you read these stories in the Old Testament, don't go pick out scriptures to prove your points. And then weaponize them. To get your way. That's wrong. It's not even how it was. It's, think about this for a second. These are stories that reveal Jesus. Read them like you would read a story. They are pointing you to Jesus. So don't get your ideas and take them to the Bible. Get them from the Bible. About who Jesus is. Now. With all of that being said. What I was trying to do. In the beginning of this sermon. As I was just trying to remove. The veil that was on your eyes. So that you can see Jesus. In this text. In Genesis. So when you are thinking about Jesus. The number one thing that has to happen. And it, I think it just happened. For maybe some of you in this moment. And if not, it's going to happen to you in just a second. The veil has to be removed off of your eyes. Okay? If you read the Old Testament with a veil over your eyes, you will always see Moses and you will never see Jesus. And Jesus is a better Moses. If you read the Old Testament in a way that they read the Old Testament, that Pharisees read the Old Testament. You'll read it wrong. That's why Paul corrected them. And it's not, let me, let me actually say this. It's not that you're a bad person. It's not like you're like approaching the Bible and you're like, I can't wait to read this wrong today. 
Man, I can't wait to misinterpret the Bible and live like a heretic. Nobody does that. But when there's a veil over your eyes, you can't see Jesus rightly. And when you can't see Jesus rightly, you'll just create Jesus for yourself. And that's not what this is. The first thing that you need to know about this thing that's happening in Genesis with Abraham. When you're reading this text, here's just some observations that I made that I want to give you so that you can see Christ in this. Number one, everyone has a Sodom season. Everyone has a season where they feel broken, where they feel nasty, where they feel wicked, where they feel forgotten about, where they feel forsaken. You have a season like that. Everyone does. And you know what? We really tell people that's really just like, it's just strange. We tell them that living in Sodom is their fault. This is where you're really going to see Jesus. This is where the veils are going to be. You're going to see something right here. Well, they got themselves into it, so they'll just get themselves out of it. What if Abraham would approach God and said that? There's something happening in Sodom with these people. I'm really about to mess with you big time here, but I just need to go for it this morning. Genesis is ancient Near Eastern literature. It is not American literature. The purpose of Abraham in this story is to reveal God to you. The purpose of God in this story is to reveal to you who he's not. Because God, the God that we have clinged to for so long, has, would have destroyed the wickedness in the city. But Abraham steps in and he says, if you find one wicked man, or if you find one righteous man, that's what he's getting to. If you find 50 righteous people, if you find 45, if you find, there's no righteous people. That's what we're getting at. And the logical conclusion to this, if you find one righteous man in the city, will you save the city? That is Jesus. He was one righteous man who saved all of us who come to dwell in our city. It is not Abraham going to God, and it's not for you to be an intercessor in this way. You are called to be an intercessor, but not like we've taught you. This is how we've taught you how to be an intercessor. God's over here. Right here. You are here. And then there's another person over here. And then what you do is, is you go to God. God, these people are wicked. These people are terrible. What are we going to do? Go tell them to repent or I will smite the ground. Okay. You need to get your stuff together before God. That's what we think intercession is. That's not intercession. It's not even what it means. You know the word intercession doesn't even mean stand in the gap. It's just a quick Google search. It doesn't mean, that's not what it means. 
What intercession does mean is to dwell among. And so if you want to be distant from culture, you'll never impact it. Let me tell you a reality that the church is just going to have to come to grips with. People are leaving the church. Millennials are leaving the church by the droves. And you can either dig your heels in around fundamentalism or you can be a soft place for them to land. Now, if you're a fundamentalist, that's fine. Be one. That's okay. I'm not mad at you. I'm just telling you, you're not going to reach these people who are leaving. You won't. You need Jesus to burn some of the things that you believe to the ground. Because not only are they wrong, they're harmful. It's not just that they're wrong. Like, right? So, like, when people talk about... People have asked me about the rapture before. Me and Pastor Casey and Emily did a video that got a lot of attention about the rapture. <laughs> and I would get messages all the time. All the time. Well, I believe in the rapture. Awesome. It's awesome. Dig your heels on it, baby. Because if we go, I'll see you up there. I'm flying up too. I'm as Christian as you are. But if you use the rapture and you say, if you don't get your life right with God, you're going to be left behind. You're trying to scare people into loving Jesus. And you cannot scare people into loving Jesus. I was actually having dinner the other night with Dakota. He's sitting in the back back there. And we were talking about this generation. And he was like, they're scared of nothing. They don't care if you yell at them. They don't care. They'll just yell back. But everybody has a Sodom season. Everybody has a season of brokenness. And what if Abraham's approach was just get your life together? It wasn't. The Bible actually says this. See, there, you have to read this text carefully. It says it uses the word God and then it uses the word Lord. It makes a clear distinction between the two. Because there is a God character in the figure, in the, in the story... And then there is Lord. And when Abraham sets out from Sodom, this is what it says the Lord asked. Should I reveal my plan to Abraham? What was he talking about? He was talking about the plan of Jesus. And then it says Abraham approaches God and says all of these things. Everybody has a Sodom season. And you need to be graceful for those who, you need to be graceful towards those who are in Sodom. Because God dwells in Sodom too. He is not scared of Sodom. He's not scared of wickedness and brokenness. The Bible says this, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Why do we think that he is scared of those? Do you know most people who are living in perpetual sin, they're not bad people, they're just broken? And you know what? They didn't choose to be that way. And you saying just get it together doesn't help. What will help is when they see Jesus. 
That will help. The next thing, I've got to get through these. Here's the reality. We need an intercessor. We need an intercessor. We need someone to stand in the gap for us. The good news of the gospel as it pertains to the, to the Genesis story of Abraham is that Jesus is the better Abraham and he dwells in Sodom. Jesus is the intercessor. Jesus is our intercessor. Let me read this to you. Jesus is our Abraham that comes to dwell in our Sodom. He is God among us, Emmanuel. He is with us. He's not distant from us. He is with us. Let me read this to you, Hebrews 7. There were many priests under the old way. Death prevented them from remaining in office. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. Jesus is in intercession for you with God right now. Right now. Right now. He is, he is among you right now. He is with you and in you right now. I'm going to disagree with this statement, so don't say amen. Okay? Don't say amen. I'm going to make a statement. I'm going to disagree. I heard a pastor say one time, the reason why God hates sending people to hell is, be is because he loses a piece of his self every time someone goes there. Because you were created in his image and you were just like him. No. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> the reason that hell even exists is to purify people from sin. That's the reason that hell exists. It's to purify you from sin. So that you can dwell in a new creation with God. That's why hell exists. It's going to burn. It's going to be bad. Let me tell you this. You're going to answer for every wicked thing that you ever said about somebody. You're going to have to face it. You're going to have to deal with it. And God is going to make you make it right. Hell is terrifying. That's terrifying. All the wicked thoughts that you've had about people, all the wrong things that you've said about people, you mean to tell me that in some way that God is going to make me make all of this right? You mean he's not just going to come in and, and say, oh, yeah, to do away with that. No, he's going to make you go make it right because that is how he makes it right. Hell exists. Hell exists. Please don't go there. You can spend eternity in hell. Yes. Yes. You can. You can. If you can bear God loving the hell out of you for all of eternity. Hell exists for that purpose. 
everything's going to be tried in fire. It's going to be tried in fire. Hell becomes so much more real to you when you have to sit down and think, man, I'm going to be tried by fire. And God is going to make all wrong things right within you in doing so. You are going to face a judgment. Two of them. There are two judgments. You're going to face both of them. I think I have to face three of them. Somewhere in there it says teachers are judged more strictly. <laughs> so I've always pictured it. It's like everybody else has a judgment. Christians have a judgment. And then the people who teach the Christians, they're taken into a little back room. It's like, all right, we need to talk about all of this <laughs> that you taught so wrongly for so many years. Because that was terrible, Cole. That was terrible. Go back and repent. Here's the last thing that I want you to know. Jesus is our intercessor. And when you see Jesus as our intercessor, and only when you see him first... This is where you arrive to. You are also an intercessor. Jansen, you can come on up. But listen, you being an intercessor is not God taking you to Sodom to look at it in disgust. It is not, it is not, it is not so that you can remain on your Christian pedestal to look at other people who are in suffering and say, Man, that must be terrible. You are an intercessor because you were supposed to dwell among those people and help restore that. Let me tell you one of the verses that's actually been... This, this entire topic has been weighing on me heavy for over two months now, and I'm, I'm actually glad that I'm getting to preach it. This is a, this is a verse in... in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 1. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful. I want you to get this. God is our merciful Father. Listen to this. And the source of all comfort. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others. Not so that you're comforted and then you look at others and say, man, I wish they could be comforted. He comforted you so that you could go and comfort other people. This is what it says. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort as God gave us. The reason why you go through things is so that you can be a voice to people who are going through things. Jesus came. The Bible says this is one of my favorite verses. He is not a God who has not been touched with our infirmities. God took on sin and death. He was touched with everything that you're going to face so that he can comfort you through everything that you're facing. And then when he comforts you through everything that you are facing, then you have the same 
spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead in you. And it act, the Bible actually says this in 2 Corinthians. It says, now you're an ambassador reconciling the world to God. And you go to those people and you say, look at this Jesus. He did this for me. He did this for me. Now I'm here to comfort you. Listen, it's not this. It's not this. I'm just to mess with one of our Pentecostal verses. You ever heard this before? The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And whatever he does for me, he will do with you. We good? Okay. And whatever he does in me, he'll do it for you. God come and paid my car off, he'll pay yours off. God paid my house off, he'll pay yours off. God did this for me, he'll do it for you. How many of you know that just doesn't work? Because if it doesn't work every time, it's not Jesus. It can't work for some and not for others. That's unjust. Jesus actually rejects this notion altogether that says, he literally in James says this, when a guest comes into your house and if he's wearing gold chains and if he's wearing rings, do not treat him any different than you would treat the poor person who walks in. It's not what God did for me, he will do it for you. It's not that. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Jesus is the most prophetic picture that you ever need to paint. It's the most prophetic picture that you ever need to paint. All wrong things are being made right in you. When you suffer, he comes to suffer with you. It's not us waving our wands and calling them prayer. It's seeing who Jesus is. You can stand to your feet. How many of you before in this room, you would just say, like I've suffered through something before. Yeah, most people in this room, you've suffered through something before. So I want you to think through this. I want you to think through this. This is not just a story in Genesis about Abraham. This is a story that reveals Jesus. And when you see Jesus, you find yourself. Listen. When you see Jesus, you find yourself, okay? And you are in Christ. If you see yourself, you're not going to find Jesus first. That's not how this works. Paul said, when you see Jesus, the veil comes off of your eyes. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. When you see Christ... God is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. When you see Jesus, there is freedom. When you see, when you see Jesus, there is freedom from Sodom. There's freedom from seasons of suffering and pain and hurt. You know that the sins of Sodom were not all the charismatic Pentecostal things that we've said. It wasn't homosexuality. It wasn't abortion. It wasn't those things. We've used those things as leverage in Christian culture to make other people feel shameful and we should stop doing that altogether. That's not the sins of Sodom. 
The prophets are clear of what the sins of Sodom were. You didn't care for the poor. You treated people unjustly. Go read Isaiah and Jeremiah. He rebuked Sodom never once for sexual sin. He makes an observation that they are sinning sexually. He never rebukes them for it. He does rebuke them for treating people poorly. Because, listen, you have something in you that hasn't been made fully right yet. You are not perfect. I hate to bring this news to you. You're not perfect. But you are being transformed into Christ's glorious image as you see Him. That is the good news of the gospel. You're not perfect. But you are being transformed as you see Jesus. It is awful prideful to say or to approach the New Testament and say, and be able to come away and say, I am just the righteousness of God, nothing else. That's all I am. You ignore the entire New Testament. You are the righteousness of God, yes. But you are also sinful and you are in need of mercy. Everyone is. You can be both. You can be both. Paul was both. Paul was both. So this morning, I just want you to bow your heads this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we have the opportunity and the ability to see you. To see you. To see you, Jesus. We want to see you this morning. We want to see you in a real, real way today.